seated. Isn't that good news that we worship a God? Where his spirit is, there is liberty. There is freedom. There is spiritual freedom for us. We are so excited that you are all here with us today. We are grateful to be in the room with you. Welcome to everybody that's joining us online. Uh, those of you that are online, some of the things I'm going to talk through right now uh, may not be applicable to you, but a lot of things can happen through our website, and you can certainly reach out to us other ways as well. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, for any of you that are new in the room, we would love for you to share your information with us. We are not going to stalk you or hunt you down. Or if you've been in the room for a while and haven't shared your information with us, we would love that um, so that we can connect with you and so that we can um, get feedback from you and hear from you. We'll send you a little survey. We'd love to send you a card. Um, and also, if you want to get any of our emails, that would be a great way to do that. You can do that through the info card that's out at the info center. You can also do that through an app that we use um, called the YouVersion app or the Bible app. You can certainly share your information in there. You can also take notes and follow along with the message. you got to forgive me. My glasses broke right before service started. <laughs> so I'm like, make sure I don't miss anything. Um, but the other thing you can do on the, the app is um, you can give. And we love to give here at Centerway. We're not begging you for your money. We're talking about money because it's a God principle and because it brings financial freedom. And we love to be generous here. We love to give money away. And so we will happily talk about giving if you want to give on the app, if you want to give online. There's also an offering box in the back. Feel free to do that as you feel led. Um, there are some other ways to connect throughout the week if you would like to. Um, there's wallpapers that you can download for your phone to remind yourself of the application question. You can connect with us on social media. Um, you can deal with our spot or deal interact with our Spotify playlist, um, and you can also subscribe to or find our Monday, Wednesday, uh, Friday devotionals on the website. Um, most of the things I just talked about are on the, the messages and resources page of the website. Um, but like I said, you can also subscribe to the devotionals. Um, they're so good, and our team does an amazing job connecting them with the message that you'll hear today. So that's really cool. Um, if you have questions, ideas, feedback, if you need prayer for anything, we would love to help you and serve you. The best way to reach us is at connectatcenterwaychurch.com. Um, all throughout the week, you take next steps if you're looking for ways to grow. It doesn't just have to be related to the Sunday message, although it could be. But there's things like serving. We love to serve around here, and it's really fun, uh, too. You can sign up for that. Um, you can get spiritually coached. We have an eight-week discipleship program for that. You can get water baptized. You can become a center race steward, and the list goes on. And then one last thing I want to talk about before we close here is... Um, we love to serve the community, and there's lots of the ways that we do that all throughout the year here at Centerway. And one thing that we're going to do in a couple of weeks is to provide free or complimentary um, holiday mini sessions. Um, for many of you that know, if, you, if you're trying to book a photographer at this point, a lot of it's too late. Um, it's also very pricey, but we're offering 15-minute sessions by two really, really wonderful photographers. It's not just like random people in the church taking pictures for you. Um, they're people that are booked out. And um, they're giving of their time on November 13th to do this. Now, this is not just for Centerway. In fact, it's mostly for the community. And so I want you to see these. Um, they're kind of like on every other chair. You can absolutely sign up for them. We would love for you to do that. We want to serve you, too. We want this to be a gift for you at Centerway. But there's a stack of, um, of these right by the offering box in the back of the plot standing. And they're on uh, by the cafe if you're going to get coffee or whatever on your way out. Please take them and hand them out to your family and friends. If you know somebody that maybe doesn't have the finances for it or maybe just hasn't thought of it or whatever, they can just have a free 15-minute session. And we're going to be there. We're going to greet them. We're going to have some refreshments. And maybe it would be a good touch point to just some community that maybe somebody's needing. And if not, that's fine. We're just happy to serve them with free 
photo session, which is really cool. So here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. Priscilla is going to be reading the, the scripture reference for us. In case you're new, we read the scripture text every week that we're going to be hearing from. Then Claude's going to come up and communicate from the Bible. And then we're going to come back up and we're going to respond to the word through singing. So let's pray today. God, we thank you that we're two or more are gathered in your name. You're present there. We thank you that the truth of what we just sung, where your spirit is, there is freedom, is available to all of us today. We just have to accept it and walk in it. And so I pray that you would do something in each of our hearts. Would you help us to hear what the spirit is saying to your church today and to respond to it openly and willingly? We thank you, God, that when we open your word, there's life change. And so we want to do that today. And we are thankful to be able to do that in community, whether we're here in the room or online together. Have your way. This is your time, and we just want to submit to you and lift your name up high, Jesus. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Um, today we're reading Mark 15, verses 16 through 32. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak. And put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them, to decide what each should take. And it was a third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by him, and those who passed by, derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ha, you who destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Thank you, Priscilla. So if you've been with us at all, um, we're continuing in our journey through the book of Mark, and we're getting to some uh, rather emotional pieces of text. Uh, we're continuing in our series entitled Within Walking Distance. And today's uh, talk is entitled Gospel. So the gospel is within walking distance. Um, I've had uh, a lot of different places that I've sort of settled from time to time to do work and study, sometimes in cafes, sometimes um, in a like a park or a calm place or something like that besides um, maybe my own home or whatever. And I'll find myself from time to time in cafes. There was one time in particular that I was at uh, the Starbucks in Canadagua. And I was there doing some work. And it was a little over, well, obviously it was a little over a year ago. <laughs> um, because obviously it was closed for some time a year ago. Um, 
and uh, I was sitting there, and a person came through the drive-thru, and I didn't realize what was happening at first. I was sitting by the front where people are kind of checking in and um, or making their orders, and I, I didn't necessarily know what happened, but something had happened because there was some commotion, and they're all talking to each other, the people that work there. And a long story short that I gathered in the moments that followed is that someone had come through the drive-thru and asked what it would cost to pay for 10 large coffees uh, to give away. And it was, the answer was somewhere around $35, and so he gladly gave it and basically said he wanted to pay for the next 10 people that came through and wanted a large coffee that they uh, would get it for free. And then if anyone ordered a tall or a small, for those of you that are not Starbucks, give it. They don't care or whatever. A small is tall. So basically, if they ordered a tall, they would be upgraded to a grande for free. And so that's kind of what is taking place. And so there's all this excitement because I guess it happens from time to time there according to what they were saying. And so they were all excited to do this. And so the next person came up to the window and they said, here's your coffee. And I want to let you know it's free. And the person's like, what? Why? And they're like, well, someone paid for it. The person in front of you just decided to pay. And like, paid for my coffee? Like, yeah, like, I I don't, I don't need somebody to pay for my coffee. I have money for my coffee. And they're like, yeah, I know, but he just wanted to do it. And this person was just kind of almost argumentative about it. And they said, well, I mean, if you want, you can pay for it. He goes, yeah, I'll pay for my coffee. Give it to somebody that needs it. I'm like, wow, all right. Merry Christmas. So uh, they went through, and uh, the next person came. And I won't go through all of the reactions, but there was one woman that actually be- began uh, kind of crying. She got emotional. Um, I didn't witness that, but they were all talking about it, like, oh, my gosh, don't start crying, or I'll start crying. So that's how I knew she was crying. Okay. Um, so in either case, she's getting emotional, and uh, she said, you don't realize how much this makes my day. I'm having a terrible day. Uh, there was another gentleman that came through, and insisted that uh, he would, the only way that he would take his free coffee is if he was allowed to pay for five more, if they could just add on five more. And they're like, absolutely, we could do this all day. So he's like, all right, I'm going to pay for five more. I'll take my free one. And so they're all excited. And all these people are coming in from ranging in motion, people that are angry at first, they're given a grande. They're like, no, 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 I ordered a tall. You didn't hear me say tall? Like, it's free. They're like, Why? Everybody calm down, put the weapon down. You know, it's like, holy cow. Uh, and so they're all excited that they, that they get this free coffee. They're surprised. The, the, the response are all over the place, ranging from people that are offended to people that want to pay it forward to people that are emotional. And so the question I want to ask as we jump into the text today is this. How do you respond when someone pays your debt? How do you respond when someone pays your debt? I want to submit to you that we all experience one initial reaction before we decide how to respond. That as human beings, we all have one initial reaction. It's this. Disbelief. Disbelief. It's almost disorienting. It's like we want to guard ourselves from being tricked, you know? Like as if we're getting punked or something. Um, For those of you that don't know what that means, you're young, congratulations. Anyway... It's uh, as if it's kind of too good to be true. Something positive is happening and you just wonder like, wait, is this really happening? Why? Who? And you just need to know if this is really um, something actually taking place. Then once we're kind of adequately convinced, then of course our reactions range in motion from excited gratitude to kind of uncomfortable refusal. And everything in, in between, right? We're all over the place. People that, that are just so grateful and amazed that someone would do this, that there's still kindness in the world, uh, that they don't even know this stranger and they gave them something, they paid their debt, all the way up to someone that is completely refusing it, just will not take it. 
the, uh, the, the emotions and reactions that day ranged literally from tears to I'm going to pay it forward, add more, to I don't need charity, give it to the next person. I don't need help. I don't need that free coffee. As you can imagine, how one responds says a lot about that person. How you respond says a lot about you, like it or not. Like it or not. If you're like, oh, I would feel very uncomfortable. Why is that? Why would you feel uncomfortable if someone did something for you? The employees actually had a lot of theories as to what was wrong with people (laughs) and how they responded and what their conclusions were. Uh, It was very entertaining. But like it or not, people will draw conclusions on how you respond when someone pays your debt. Listen, how we respond to things like this reveals us. How we respond to people's giving to us reveals a lot about us. So let's look at today's text to see how people responded to the debt that Jesus was actually paying. Now, now, granted, a lot of people didn't realize the debt that he was paying in the moment that he was paying it, but we do. We can look back on the text and we can realize what it was that was actually taking place as Jesus was led to the cross. First, we have the, uh, the Roman guards. They mock Jesus. They actually put a purple robe on him to, to mock him, and they place a crown of thorns on his head, and they hit him with a reed in the head. And then the text says that they spit on him. Now, I mean, obviously that is horrifying for anyone to endure, but there's some things that we have to consider at this point. We have to consider Jesus' physical condition. At this point, he's been scourged. So scourged, we're told in verse 15 that uh, this took place. That was last week. We concluded that perfectly with the idea that he had been scourged or what is sometimes referred to as being flogged. Now, this was something done by the Romans in preparation specifically for crucifixion, and it was meant to weaken the person, to kind of take the fight out of him. In fact, history tells us that it often resulted in death prior to crucifixion because of how aggressive and gruesome it was. We're told that the Romans used a Roman uh, flagellum, is what it's called, and it's a whip of oxide. So they would get oxide, they would twist it together, and then they would place inside uh, at random lengths of, of this cord pieces of bone, pieces of lead, zinc, in some cases bronze, and they would also put pieces and shards of, uh, of glass into this. Now, if you're familiar with the concept of flogging at all, if you're familiar with uh, scripture, we see that uh, Paul was flogged. It says that he received um, 40 lashes minus one of 39. Now, the reason for that is specific, and it helps us kind of understand what's happening here. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25 lays out for Jewish law what it is that should be done and what should not be done, uh, to what degree people should be punished and for what things they should be punished. And so we see in the, in the Old Testament that they're, that they're told that no one should be whipped more than 40 lashes. And so to ensure that they would not violate the law, uh, they always did 39. So that, was, that way if they just counted wrong or something, uh, they didn't have to worry about violating the law themselves. And so 39 lashes is kind of what history tells us that Jewish people experienced, that Paul himself experienced. But history records that the Romans had no such limits. And that what it is that they flogged their prisoners with were actually far more gruesome and uh, meant for destruction than what the Jewish people used. 
So the truth is the way this would look, and I won't go into too much gruesome detail, but Jesus was stripped. He was stripped of his clothes and his hands were bound and then he was tied to a post with his hands above his head. This was gonna allow them to maximize the damage. We certainly don't know how many lashes Jesus actually endured. The assumption is that it was more than 39 um, or less. We don't really know. We only know that the Roman centurion was charged with um, bringing the person to the point that was overseeing the flogging, was charged to bring the person to the point of near death, of near death, without taking their life. Now, what you need to understand about this process is that it, in fact, tore the flesh off of the person's body. It would expose muscle. It would tear... um, tear muscle, it would actually expose the bone. Um, Like I said, I'll try not to get too gruesome except to let you know that according to history, and specifically you can read the historian Josephus that records a lot of how this uh, took place historically, that even in some cases, internal organs were exposed as a result of the flesh being torn off. So Jesus is horribly, horribly beaten at this point. And a lot of people actually died as a result of what was endured just at this point. And in this moment, as he's been horribly beaten, they then force this crown of thorns upon his head. And they begin striking him in the head with a reed. And they start spitting on him. It's graphic. It's horrific, to say the least. But it's important for us to understand that Jesus didn't just die to pay our sin debt. He was mocked and humiliated. Jesus was mocked and humiliated. Now, If he would have died on the cross, it would have been enough for what he was sent to do. Yet he was mocked and humiliated for us. Verse 20 of the section that was already read says this. And when they had mocked him, speaking of the Roman soldiers, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. They led him out to crucify him. We have to understand the enormity. that There's so much focus on what the cross was and is, and we'll talk about that, and that in and of itself is horrifying. But the reality is he wore stripes. He bore stripes for us. His flesh was torn away. He was humiliated, stripped naked and beaten, mocked, humiliated and shamed for you and for me. And he was innocent. Innocent. Did nothing wrong. I don't mean like the did nothing wrong that we talk about, right? Like, I did nothing wrong. I mean, I did a little bit wrong, but you know, like, you know, like nothing wrong. No, Jesus was entirely innocent. Verse 23 says, as he's coming to the place called Golgotha, they offered him, verse 23, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Now, History tells us that this is a mild numbing effect, that these two things mixed actually lessen the pain. And Jesus refuses it. He refuses it because he he has been charged to finish a mission and he's not going to be distracted. He wants nothing that is going to numb his his response or his cloud his mind. He wants to respond with clarity. And so he endures the full pain of what not only has taken place, but what he's moving towards. Verses 24 through 26, go on and says, and they, and they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them. So at this point, um, anybody being crucified was entirely stripped of their clothes, which is, of course, extremely humiliating, but specifically for any Jewish man, there was a lot to be said about being covered, uh, specifically uh, appropriateness in society. 
And so he has been stripped naked. He's hanging on a cross. They divided his garments among them, casting lots for them. They're literally playing a game to see who wins his clothing. To decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. The King of the Jews. Now, just a, a side note so that you can kind of understand what's taking place. The, the typical cross beam of a cross was actually carried to the place called Golgotha. So all that is in Rome is outside of the city gates there are posts, simply posts. And Jesus is carrying the cross beam of what would be his cross. And so a typical cross would be actually a T, not what we see today with an upper part. The reason why we envision the upper part is because it was on top of that cross post that something was fixed, proclaiming what his offense had been. And so the reason why something protrudes above Jesus' head is because it's the sign that says he's the king of the Jews. It's incredible, because it was true. The thing that he was guilty of was actually being the king of the Jews. We see him hung here naked, shamefully executed outside of the city walls with king of the Jews written on a plaque above his head. I want to pause for a minute. I want to pause a minute um, just because I want to address something. Um, if If you have a Bible with you or if you're using one of these journals, which by the way, we provide all of these journals for free. So if you don't have one, you can certainly get one. If you've seen other people carrying them around, they're in the back of the room. You can help yourself. They're there for you. And you can take notes and follow along with the text. If you're looking in your translation, depending on the translation you have, you're going to see that verse 28 is missing in the text. And so the reason why I want to take a pause is because I don't want to briefly go over that. and You guys be like, there is a verse missing in the Bible. And he doesn't even want to talk about it. Got him. You know, uh, the reality is it's not a mistake. Verse 28 uh, was not found in the earliest man's manuscripts, the earliest reliable manuscripts, Greek manuscripts. And so it's actually believed that it was added via um, the Byzantine manuscripts translation where they were translating for King James Version. And so it's actually an assimilation to uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 37. And the reason why I say that is because it wasn't taken out because it somehow contradicted what else was being written. Uh, It's completely in line with it. It's simply taken out because it doesn't belong there historically. And so it's further um, leads to the reality of the authenticity of Scripture and uh, that what is here is here because it was originally here. So... I'll now continue. I just wanted to address that and not go past it. Picking up at verse 29 through 30, says this, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Why so much mocking? Why are people so angry? I've often thought of that growing up. I was like, how do all these people that are literally lining up to have Jesus talk to them, to pray for their sick, to to do some type of miraculous work, that, that they just turn on a dime and all of a sudden they go to this place of mocking him? What do they have against Jesus? It's because the gospel is all or nothing. I want you to understand that. Because it's a tension that we deal with today. The gospel is all or nothing. It is inherently offensive for someone to declare themselves the God of your life. Where do you get off telling me how to live? You're not my 
There's so much mocking and there's so much anger because the gospel is all or nothing and we as humans hate that. We hate ultimatums. But we're faced with a choice, like it or not. We either fall to our face in tears and gratitude, determining that the reality of the truth of the gospel and what took place in the cross will forever transform us, that someone has paid our debt that we do not deserve, that it's almost too good to be true, that it's literal good news and it rocks us from the the core of our foundation and we're left only with the determination that we're going to somehow pay it forward, that everyone needs to know, that it has to inform the way we live our lives, the way we spend our money, the way we deal with our relationships, the decisions we make, all of it. It's a ripple effect. Or, or, We declare we don't need the charity. That in fact, we can save ourselves. I got this thing figured out, God. There's no in-between. Oh, man, we want to live in between. Oh, my gosh. Do we want to live in between? We want to, like, set up a house and a white picket fence and and 2.1 kids and 1.3 dogs. And we just want to be like, that's the in-between, right? Best of both worlds. But it isn't. It's it's an either-or. That should cause us all to search our hearts. We want to say, like, the problem is that life isn't that easy. It's hard, and there's moments where we want to be the God of our own lives. We think that we know best about this situation. It's just not that easy. It's not that clear cut, is it? I had my coffee paid for one time in my whole life. It was actually kind of cool. Completely unexpected. I was going through a drive-thru at a Starbucks. And I pulled up and I had ordered a coffee and they said, actually the person in front of you paid for it. And I was like, what? what? Did they say who they were? Because I just thought maybe it was a friend or something. And they're like, no, just a stranger. They just said, hey, I want to pay for the coffee for the guy behind me. I'm like, seriously? They're like, yeah. I was like, that's so awesome. I was like, can I pay for the person behind me? They're like, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, that's great. I want to do that. They're like, all right. It was awesome. It was exciting. It was the only time it's ever happened. And I remember that day. The reason I remember that day is because it was a terrible, terrible day. With one single bright spot, I got a free cup of coffee. And then my day continued to be terrible. It was just still a terrible day. I wish the coffee was magical. I wish the gratitude that I had experienced had somehow transformed the rest of my day. But it was a bad day that started bad and ended even worse. And the only thing that was good about that day was a single bright spot of a free, stinking cup of coffee. Hear this. Too many of us treat the gospel as just a bright spot in an otherwise terrible life. We don't realize the implications the transformative work of the truth of the gospel. We just think, hey, you know what? I have this really rough life and sometimes it is super rough and I get it. I get it. I'm living it with you. Life is hard sometimes. It's really unfair. But we can't marginalize the gospel into a single bright spot. It's like, oh, you know what? If I could just make it to church next week, that'd be, that'd be great. I'd be just like the shot in the arm I need to make it through another yet terrible week in my otherwise depressing life. Praise God. That's how we sometimes treat the gospel. I believe it was St. Augustine that said, the cross causes humanity to declare, nobody tells me how to live. It's true, right? The gospel 
It wrecks us to the point where we either surrender or we stand up and say, you can't tell me how to live. Get this, when difficulties come, and they do, we mock God. We mock God. And believe me, let's look at the, the text. It says this, verse 20, I'm sorry, 31 through 32 says this. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe those who were crucified with him also reviled him. Do you realize what's happening there? The chief priests and scribes are saying, listen, you come off the cross, I'll believe. I'll believe. Prove to me your God. And I want to tell you, in my small-mindedness, like, in my world that watches way too much movies, I want to be like, why didn't Jesus be like, oh yeah? Boom, off the cross. How you like me now? I'm fine. <laughs> but I got to go up there and do something real quick, so I'll be right, you know, and go back up. Like, like, why not just a little minute to be like, now you're saved, right? Now you can know me as God. But no, because it's not some power thing. It's not about showing them who he is or what. He is on mission about the truth of the gospel and how many times have we said, God, if you just do this, I'll believe. It sounds too familiar. Maybe you haven't articulated it lately, but in our heart of hearts, we think like, God, if you come through on this one, how about this? God, I've been praying for this person. You do this. It's going to be amazing. Like this is the way we convince that person you're real. Get on board with my idea of evangelism, God. Like this is going to be amazing. You got to catch up, dude. I mean, we could change a lot of things, God, you and me. You might look at this verse and say, that's them, but I don't mock God. We mock him and we marginalize the cross when we say things like, why is life so hard? Why Why are things so unfair? God, just take this away. Just do your thing, God. Just, just be the bright spot in my otherwise miserable life and if you just man if you could do this man I would declare you God and things would change do this and and I'll believe God if you really loved me you would dot 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 we're all there as humans why because we don't want an either or We want to remain the God of our own lives. We don't want the gospel in the center informing every aspect of our lives. We want to push the gospel into a little quadrant of our otherwise difficult life. And we've got our work thing, and we've got our family thing, and we've got all these things. And the church thing is just, it's one of the slivers. But God's saying, no, you can't do that. The gospel's too disruptive. It's in the center or it's not. It's in the center or it's not. Christians are so good with Christology. I know that's a 
Church SAT words. I'll explain. Christology is just exactly as it sounds. The study of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We intellectually understand the gospel. And I know that there's a mixture of people that join us here in this space as well as those online. And you might be in the midst of understanding the person and work of Jesus. And that's okay. At some point, as a Christ follower, you get to a place where you're, you're pretty good intellectually about understanding the gospel. But, but, we collectively are terrible with our soteriology. Soteriology might not be quite as clear. Soteriology is the study of salvation and the the personal implications of the gospel in our life. So we understand the cross, but we don't want to connect it to the way we live. That's what I'm saying. That's where we struggle. We struggle with the soteriology part, the, the idea that like, oh, that's a bright spot. That's my get out of hell free card. You know what? I should tell my kids that. Hmm. I should make them come to church. That would be the Jesus thing to do. We miss out on the true reality of the transformative work of the gospel in every area and facet of our lives. The soteriology part that should saturate our lives. It causes us to the place of saying, listen, I'm all in or I'm all out, but I I can't be all out because I know too much. So I have to learn to be all in. God, would you transform my heart? Would you renew my mind? Would you help me to live a life centered around the truth of the gospel? I live in light of the truth of the the cross. They said literally, Jesus can't save the world because he's too weak. He's too weak. He can't save the world. Look at him. Here's the irony. He was saving the world through his weakness. He was actually doing what they said he couldn't. We say things like, if God loved, then he wouldn't let this happen. Well, God is, is actually present in our weakness too. That in the brokenness of our heart and mind, that he loves us so much that he ensured that the pain you feel in this world will only be temporal. That it's only temporal. And that even in the midst of the temporal pain of this world, he will walk alongside you through it. That you'll never be alone. That you won't be forsaken. He was alone on the cross so that you would never be alone. Listen, if Jesus holds on to his glory in this moment, if he holds on to his strength, if he hops off that cross to prove a point, then we go to hell and we eternally bear the shame. But Jesus made himself weak and allowed himself to be shamed. Listen, he took the shame so we could have the glory. He took the shame. He took the humiliation So that we could have the confidence and the glory. That we could be known as children of the living God. That we would reframe our thought and mind as we go into the everydayness of our life. And realize that we can live for something greater than what's temporal and what's in front of us. What's fleeting. What's what's here today and gone tomorrow. And we try to grasp it. Oh my goodness, we hold it so tight. And like sand at a beach, it just runs through our fingers. If only I had more sand. Just right through He took the shame so we could have the glory that he deserved. The gospel changes our every day. It changes our every day. The gospel is within walking distance. If we would just acknowledge the person and work of Jesus and allow the implications to affect and impact every day of our lives. 
and we could live life to the fullest. That's what Jesus says, that you would live life and life to the fullest. We've perverted it into meaning something about the American dream or something. Talking about focusing on the things that really matter, the things that are eternal. We say every week here that the text requires something of us. And this week obviously is no different, but it's going to be a little bit unique in what it is that we request of you in application. The application is more of a challenge, and it's this. I'm going to challenge you to spend 10 minutes a day this week rereading this passage and thanking Jesus. That you would spend 10 minutes a day this week rereading the passage. If you're a slow reader, we think you can get it through in 10 minutes. But if you're a quick reader, whatever, that you would meditate on this verse. That you would read it over and over again and thank Jesus. As things come to mind, the the brokenness, the arguments, the frustrations, the difficulty, as they come to mind, that you would put it in perspective of the person and work of Jesus and that you would thank him. Allow scripture to transform your week. Your children, if you have children here, are being given uh, this text in a, a form, a card, so that they can bring it with them and that they can also meditate on this passage. So we want to challenge you to allow that which Jesus has done and the implications of the gospel to saturate your mind. And maybe you have a quiet time, and so I would encourage you to add this to your quiet time. But if you have no quiet time, this is a way to establish it, to begin just carving out 10 minutes a day to read this passage and thank Jesus. For some of us today, we've known of Jesus. We've known of the cross but we didn't realize that it was amazingly personal. That Jesus died the death that we deserve. That he paid our debt. And so I want to give us opportunity, all of us, opportunity to respond today. If you would, just bow your heads. You can keep your eyes open if you want. Just look at the floor. I just don't want you to be distracted as the worship team makes their way up. With your head bowed and avoiding distraction, I I want you to consider the implications for you personally. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you declared him to really truly be the Lord and leader of your life? If you've never prayed that prayer, it's a simple one. And it's it's not a rote thing that should be repeated. However you want to say this to the Lord right now, wherever you find yourself in this room or, or listening or watching later, if you pray a prayer that just acknowledges that Jesus died the death that you deserve, you ask him to forgive you of your sins and come and be the Lord and leader of your life that that is the beginning of a relationship. That you would remove yourself from the throne room of your own life and allow him to lead and direct you. And if that's a a prayer that you're praying for the first time today, I'd love to have a conversation with you after. Eric will be at the next steps area if you have questions about what next steps could be, whether it's discipleship or something else. We'd love to talk to you about that. If you're watching or listening later on, you can reach out to us via email or on our website. We don't want that to be an emotional or momentary response, but the beginning of a relationship. For others of us, the application looks like carving out time. So you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give 10 minutes. 10 minutes is not a lot in light of what it is that Jesus has done. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna establish just a time to meditate on this verse, to just read these verses over again and thank Jesus for what he's done. For those of you that are journalers, to maybe journal about what the implications are to pray through it. For others of us that have been walking with Jesus for some amount of time and 
And reading scripture is already a rhythm of our lives. I want to challenge you to act on what you're called to. That this week you would be open as you read through this to say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? How can, I, how can I allow the truth of what you've done to inform the way I spent my time, the way I prioritize things, the way I approach relationships and conversations and finances and everything? God, I want you in the center. Would you speak to me? You commit to live on mission. I want to just lead us in prayer as we respond and worship in just a moment. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would search our hearts today. Lord, that we wouldn't marginalize or minimize the gospel, that it wouldn't just be a bright spot in our otherwise busy day or depressing life or, or really good life. Father, we wouldn't make the gospel small. We acknowledge the enormity of what it is that you have done. And we ask that you would be present and hear our worship, hear our adoration, that it would be a sweet sound to your ear. Would you inhabit the praises of your people today? Let's worship the Lord together. Would you stand?
some kind of silence can be awkward, but can we start right now by thanking Jesus? Can we just take a minute to be in awe of what he's done for us?